Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. If you got notes, if you don't have notes, go ahead and lift your hands. Ushers are in the aisles. Uh, they'll provide those for you if you need a pen as well. Um, I hope they have those. If not, I just said that they have it and they actually don't. Just try to find someone next to you that may have a pen. Borrow pens, something. You say, you fill out this portion, I'll fill out the next portion. <laughs> but you want to make sure that you get some notes. And uh, we've said it uh, over the past couple of weeks that they are so very important. How many of you have already started to use it uh, in your own devotion time? You don't have to lift your hands, but you can if you want. <laughs> I saw a couple hands go up. Uh, but make sure that you are using these notes. That's why we're providing them for you. We want you to be able to take what you hear uh, on our services Wednesday nights and uh, take the information and apply it. And apply it. So that the only time that you hear this information is not tonight. As probably everything that I'm going to say tonight, you may remember, what, 5% of it? I think it is. 5%, 10%, something like that. You can go back and you can listen to the archive, but how about going back and having some notes with it? Having some points, some things highlighted. You can write your own notes as well. They're important. Take advantage of it. Um, Pastor Ken has did an amazing job in the beginning. We were four sessions in. This is our fourth session of our summer uh, series. So we've already gone through Ephesians 1, and now we're getting ready to finish up Ephesians chapter 2. Amen? So again, I challenge you and I encourage you to continue to read on. You know, if you've got to read the chapter a couple times, read over it. Keep reading this and feeding yourself uh, for this next summer series. And can I tell you that God is okay if you only read the book of Ephesians for the entire summer? Can I tell you that he's, he's perfectly fine with that? And it's good for us all as a body, as leaders, uh, to just dive into this section all together as one body in unity, striving, seeking to receive all the revelation, all the knowledge that God would have to give to us. So last week, uh, we talked, uh, started Ephesians chapter two. And in the beginning of that chapter, we see, as uh, your notes say in letter A, a need, our need for reconciliation. Paul begins telling us in the beginning of this scripture that we were once dead, and now we are alive. And so again, we see there that we have a need to be reconciled, to be brought back into relationship, into fellowship with God. We talked last week and we said that to be dead is not a physical death, but it is a spiritual death, a separation from man and God. And so Paul was speaking to us, letting us know what our current state was. And then as we go on in Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 10, we see the process of reconciliation to God. We see what God did, how he went about bringing us back into fellowship, into relationship with him. And through that portion of the scripture, we see God's motive. We see two things. I only put one here, but last week we talked about two reasons why God brought us back, why God saw fit to uh, reconcile or to resurrect us, if you will, from death to life. And the first and most important, if you will, was because of his great love. 
because of his great love. That was one of the reasons why he felt that we needed to, or that he wanted to reconcile us back to him was because of his love. And then we talked about the second reason, and the second reason was because of his mercy. His mercy. And we talked about the definition that I came up with, or or that I heard somewhere uh, along my years in ministry, of what mercy was. And we said that mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve. Now, when I said that last week, I want to kind of clarify because throughout our lives, when we're walking the paths that God has for us and we're following in his, his, uh, his ways and we're doing those things that are pleasing in his sight, there are some spiritual blessings that come to us for doing those things. Can I say that? And the Bible tells us, uh, I believe it's in Psalm 84, it says, no good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly. From him who walks in the paths of, uh, of God, listen, God says he won't withhold that from you, the good things. So when we see this word mercy, we're not talking about God withholding good things from us, but we're talking about God withholding some bad things from us. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life. And so in that scripture right there alone, we see God's mercy at work and we also see his grace at work because the wages of our sin or what we deserve, we so rightfully deserve, the payment for our sin is ultimately death. And so God's mercy withholds the death that we, res- that we deserve for our sin and then the grace comes in and gives us, as we said last week, what we don't deserve, the gift of God, which is eternal life. So mercy is God withholding from us what we so rightfully deserve. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And so uh, this portion of the scripture, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we're going to look at uh, the reconciliation of the Jews and Gentiles in Jesus Christ. We're going to see here that there are two people groups, if you will, that Paul is describing here, Jews and Gentiles. And writing your notes there, you'll see I gave you a very, very deep uh, theological definition of what a Gentile is. Simply someone who's not Jewish. That was very, very, very deep. I had to study for like two minutes to find that. (laughs) But a Gentile is someone who is not Jewish. Now let me see the hands of those who are not Jewish. Now let me see the hands of those who are Jewish. Abby, put your hand down. Rob, I think they're the only two in here that are Jewish. No, I saw a couple hands over there. And so Paul tells us that there is a difference between Jews and a difference between Gentiles. Let's read verse 11 in the New Living Translation. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. All those hands that went up when I asked if you were Gentiles, you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens 
by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies. Now, if you have a pen, go ahead and underline that right there. That it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. And again, a, Jew, a Gentile is a person who is not Jewish. And so when the Jews looked at the Gentiles, they saw the Gentiles as people who walked according to the flesh. Now in the Old Testament days, uh, they, the Jews didn't have a hatred for, uh, for, for the Gentiles. They just, they were different. But in the New Testament, if you study that, you'll start to see that the Jews formed a hatred for the Gentiles. They, they just did not like them. They didn't want to be around them. They thought they were nasty. They thought they were dirty. They thought that they were uh, just Ill illegitimate children. Uh, if you, you probably heard the statement, a redheaded stepchild, that was the Gentiles. They had no fellowship with them whatsoever. Now, God in Genesis, uh, I believe it's chapter 17, God comes and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he tells Abraham, listen, I am gonna bless you. I'm gonna bless not only you, but I'm gonna bless your seed for generations to come. I'm gonna give you the land of Canaan, meaning basically I'm gonna give you prosperity. Blessed will you be in the field. Blessed will you be in the city. Blessed will you be when you come. Blessed will you be when you go. He gave him all of these promises as his covenant between Abraham's people, if you will, and God. And so at that point in time, the Jews became God's chosen people. And the Gentiles were on the outside of that. Let's read verse 12 in the New Living. It says, you were living without Christ then. The Jewish people who belonged to God, which we just talked about in that covenant, had nothing to do with you. The promises he gave to them were not for you. You had nothing in this world to hope for. You were without God. Now, how many of you, when you hear that or when you read that, you just see, you're just like, man, it's like a, a depression just kind of comes over you. Don't raise your hand. That was a trick question. <laughs> but when you read that, it just sounds so bleak. It just sounds so dark, if you will. But Paul is telling us as Gentiles, those that are not Jewish, listen, this is what you were. You were living without Christ. And so I'm gonna, we're going to step through what this scripture tells us that we were, not are, but that we were. Letter C there, it says that we were separated. You were living without Christ in. Number one, we were living without Christ. And what does it mean to be living without Christ? You know, sir, you see, it's without spiritual blessings. You were without light. You were without peace. You were without rest and you were without safety. So you being a Gentile, you were without Christ, is what Paul is telling us here. The second thing that Paul tells us is that not only were we separated, but we were isolated. We were isolated. The Jewish people, back to verse 12, who belonged to God had nothing to do with you. And we saw again that the Jews were God's chosen people and the Gentiles were just there. They were just the illegitimate children. 
There, were, there was no connection between Jews and Gentiles. You didn't belong to them. You were by yourself. You were isolated. Verse 12, and the Good News Bible says you were foreigners, and I like that one, and did not belong to God's chosen people. So we see that we were separated. We see that we were isolated. And then we see that we were without the promises. Now we talked about in Genesis uh, how God gave all of these promises to Abraham, all the things that he was gonna do, all the good things that he was gonna give them. And what Paul is telling us that because you were not Jewish, because you were not a part of that covenant, you were without those promises. You had nothing to do with those promises. And, And back in verse 12 in the New Living it says, the promises he gave to them, they weren't for you. He made those promises to the Jews, but you had absolutely nothing to do with those promises. And so we see again that we were separated, we were isolated, we were without promises, and we were without hope. Now, not only were you separated, not only were you isolated, not only were you without promise, but you were without a means to change the current situation you were in. You were without hope. Have you ever been in a situation or heard someone in a situation where they said, there is no hope? There's nothing else we can do. There is no hope. And real quickly, about probably about three or four years ago, my aunt, my mother's sister, uh, she was dealing with cancer, fighting cancer, fighting cancer, and she went into the to to the hospital um, because she wasn't feeling well. And when they when she got there, she had been on chemo and all of these different things for uh, uh, quite some time. And when she got to the hospital, uh, they told her, "Listen, we've got to we've got to run some tests on you." You know, she was fine, she walked in, she just kind of felt like she had a cold or something. We gotta run some tests on you. And she told my mom, she said, listen, don't let them put me to sleep. She said, because I feel like if I go to sleep, I'm not gonna wake up. And so they didn't have any choice, so they put her, you know, they, they put her to sleep. And they found out that she had pneumonia in her lungs. And because of the chemo, she didn't, her, her body wasn't fighting it off. So she had pneumonia in her lungs and within 24 hours of them putting her to sleep and uh, and she walked into the hospital by herself, within 24 hours she went from being completely mobile to being septic. Where all of her organs began to shut down. It was so bad, I was living in North Carolina at the time, my wife and I were living in North Carolina and my mom called and said, Dave, you've got to get back. You've got to get home. You've got to come back. Auntie Shannon's in the hospital and they're saying that there's nothing they can do. You've got to come home. And so my wife and I, uh, we talked and I, I, I went back and when I got to, and I'm kind of walking through this, uh, you know, a little longer than expected, but when I got to the hospital and I hope this is helping someone, I got there and I pulled my mom to the side, I pulled my dad to the side and I said, listen, the doctors are saying that there's no hope. There's nothing else that we can do, correct? They say, yes. I said, okay, then the only thing we can do is walk in faith. So anybody that's not speaking faith cannot enter into this room because we're creating an environment 
for a miracle to take place. So anybody that is talking, that is speaking, that is believing anything outside of faith, they cannot come in here. So we had the prayer music going, uh, or the prayer scriptures going, and the whole thing. They sat us down that night, this was the first day I got there. Sat us down that night at probably about 11 o'clock at night. They said, listen, you need to just go ahead and tell everybody to come on in. There's nothing we can do. Everybody needs to come on and just say their goodbyes. Um, you know, we're, we're just gonna, you know, let her go. She's all tubes everywhere. You know, the, the machines that we have is what's keeping her alive. So just go ahead and, you know, and, and bring everyone. Is there anything, do you, you know, there's nothing we can do. So do you want us to go ahead and unplug her? And I looked at my mom and she looked at me and I just kind of gave her that look. I didn't say anything. But then she said, well, if there's nothing else that you could do, why don't we just leave her on and see what happens throughout the night? And they said, well, we can do that and, and we'll just see what happens. We said, all right, well, we'll see what happens. And we went to praying. Several hours later and before the morning hit, the doctor said, I don't know what happened, but her body's starting to respond. Now, just the night before, he told us there was no hope. It was so bad, he said, listen, I don't wanna tell you that she has a 0% chance to live, so I'll tell you that she has less than 1%. It's like, whoa. I don't wanna tell you that she has zero, but I'll say she has less than 1%. And can I tell you today, my aunt is walking, she's cancer free, everything is functioning properly. from a situation where the doctor said that there was no hope. But our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So Paul tells us here that we were separated, we were isolated, we were without promise and we were without hope. The other thing he says is that you were without God in the world. Now, the Gentiles, they believed in God, but what Paul was telling them is that because you weren't Jew, you weren't a part of God's chosen people, you believed in him, but God was not with you in the world. Us being Jews, yeah, we have God in the world, but you don't. So we were separated, we were isolated, we were without promise, we were without hope, and we were without God in the world. And then I like this next verse. Verse 13 in the message says, now because of Christ. I like how that says it. Now because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it all together are in on everything. Hallelujah. You who were once separated are now joined together. You who were once isolated and alone, are, you now have a family. You who were without the promises, all the promises belong to you as well. You who were without hope, you've got hope now. And you that were without God, you've got God right on the inside of you. But how, do, how did that happen? We see it in that beginning of that verse, it was because of Jesus. Jesus is, in your notes, a difference maker. 
He's a difference maker. And I like, uh, how, how many of you remember the story in, in, in John where the blind man, Jesus heals the blind man, he spits in the mud and puts the mud on his eyes and he tells him to go into the pool of Shalom, wash, and you'll be able to see. The blind man did it. And when he came back, the people were looking at him and they were like, wait, isn't that the man that was begging that was blind? One of the guys said, no, nah, that's just somebody who looks like him. <laughs> he said, no, I think, that's, I think that's the man that was blind. So they brought it before the Pharisees, and you know, I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit, and it, it was so bad, the Pharisees didn't believe it, of course. It's like, well, you were born blind. No, we don't believe you. He said, yes, it was me. It was me. No, we don't believe you. Where are his parents? They brought his parents in, and they asked his parents, listen, is this your son? Yeah, that's... That's, that's our boy. And was he blind from birth? Yeah. Yeah, he was blind. Well, how does he see now? And they said, well, we don't know. Ask him. <laughs> All we know is that he was blind. He can see now. How he can see? Ask him. He's of age. So they turn and ask him again. You were healed. You can see now. How can you see? It's that man Jesus. The problem was is that it was on the Sabbath. And so now they were looking at Jesus as a sinner because he's working on the Sabbath. He healed this man on the Sabbath. And I like the, 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 the response of the blind man and I have it here, John 9, 25. He says, listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. Jesus is a difference maker. Society speaks to us today that Jesus never, well, they say that he existed, but they said when he died, that was it. He didn't get back up. There are some that even go on to say that God doesn't even exist. But because Jesus is a difference maker, I can stand and say, listen, you may try to come up with all kind of theories, all kind of ways that, to prove or disprove his existence, but you cannot disprove my experience. I know that I was blind, but now I see. I know that I was once dead, but now I'm alive. How he did it, I have no idea, but I know what I was and I know what I am now. Because Jesus is a difference maker. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But it was because of the blood, the next part in your notes. The blood, because of the blood, we are in on Everything. Every promise that God made to Abraham that day, you're in on it. Glory to God. Let's look at verse 14 through 16 in the NIV. I'm going to try to move on. Woo! I'm preaching to myself. 
Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So we see here that Jesus is the peacemaker. He's the maker of peace, but he doesn't simply make peace. Jesus is our peace. He embodies peace. So what does that mean? That means, now, if Jesus was our peace, well, let's look at happiness and joy. So we know that happiness is kind of governed or based on what goes on around us. So as long as the things around us are in our favor, we're happy. But joy says that I'm not concerned about what goes on around me. There is something on the inside of me that brings me joy. And the something that's on the inside of me does not determine what goes on on the outside of me. And what's on the outside of me doesn't determine whether I have joy or not. And it's just like peace, because Jesus is our peace. It doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter what storm we face. Jesus will always be peace on the inside of us. That's why we see when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples, glory to God, hallelujah. When he was on the boat with the disciples, I'm sorry, I just got a little excited there. (laughs) When he was on the boat with the disciples and that storm was raging, They're getting scared, they're in fear, they're like, oh, we're going to die. This boat is getting ready to tip over, we're we're getting ready to die, and they look and they see that Jesus is asleep. What in the world are you doing sleeping? Don't you know that we're about to die, we're afraid, and they go and they wake Jesus up. And Jesus said, come on, man, where's your faith? I'm paraphrasing, of course. And he said, hold on, peace, be still. He talked to the storm and he told the storm, peace, be still. What would have happened if the disciples had recognized that the peace that they needed was right there in the boat with them? Now, we don't have Jesus with us as in body form, but we have Jesus on the inside of us. So when the storm, like we saw there, is raging on the outside of us, we know what's on the inside of us. We wake up that peace and say, peace, be still. Because Jesus is our peace. Next part, Jesus destroyed the walls and barriers that separated us. We see that in, the, in, in verse 14, that he who, who has made the two groups one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus broke down the wall that divided us. And I like in Galatians 3 and 28, it says that neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you study what was going on at this time uh, uh, in, in Scripture, there was literally, and I, told, I, I was talking to Neil earlier, there was literally a wall that divided the Jews and the Gentiles. They could worship in the temple, but they would not worship together. There was a physical wall that divided them. And Jesus came and broke that wall 
that divided them spiritually and physically. So now you're no longer isolated, separated, without promise, without hope, without God, but you are joined together because of the blood of Christ. He destroyed the walls and the barriers that separated us. He broke down, point number two, the walls of separation. That's ethnic, that's social, and gender. Now what would happen? Because we see racism in the world today. But can I, can I, can I kind of step on some, not, not step on toes, but can I make you aware that we also see racism inside of the church? I heard somebody say, uh-oh. Now, what would happen if the church grabbed a hold of this scripture and understood that when Jesus came, he broke the walls that separated us. There's no longer black and white, Hispanic and Asian. See, that's why I love Tree of Life Church. Because we have an understanding that the walls of separation are, they're no longer. Well, how do I know that? Because we've got a black associate pastor on staff. So there's obviously no walls of separation. I'm not gonna look over there at Pastor Ken. There's obviously no walls of separation. We need more blacks here at Tree of Life. We need more Hispanics. We need more Asians. We need more people. Why? Because that's the look of heaven. Glory to God. So Jesus came and he broke the walls that divided us. He destroyed the walls that divided us. And not only did, did he do that, but in letter C, you'll see that he gave us a fresh start. A fresh start. Let's look at verse 15 in the message. It says that he repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Because what the law did was the law was all about works, and we talked about that last week. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not uh, bear false witness, all of those thou shalt nots in the Ten Commandments. That was the law, but it was all based, as your notes say, on works. It was all about works. And Jesus came and he did something very profound. Let it be, he fulfilled the law on our behalf. God knew that it was impossible for us to fulfill the law. It was impossible for us to walk in that path and not fail. So he saw it fit that he had to send Jesus to come so that Jesus could come and be perfect, live a spotless life, and fulfill the law so we wouldn't have to do it anymore. So we wouldn't have to, in a sense, worry about failing because Jesus already fulfilled the law, he bore the penalty for our failure to keep the law. Let's look at verse 19 through 22. Hallelujah. It says, from now on, you are not strangers and people who are not citizens. 
You are citizens together with those who belong to God. You belong in God's family. This family is built on the teachings of the missionaries and the early preachers. Jesus Christ himself, and I like this part, is the cornerstone. Underline that. And then also underline this next part, which is the most important part of the building. Jesus is the cornerstone. Verse 21, Christ keeps the building together and it is growing into a holy building for the Lord. You are also being put together as a part of this building because God lives in you by his spirit. And I like how Paul culminated this, this, this verse or, or brought it in to this chapter. In the beginning, he talked about us being dead and now alive. Then he talked about us being separated and isolated and without promise and without God, without hope. And now he says, but from now on, from the point that you have accepted Christ, from now on, from that point forward in your notes, you belong. Don't feel as if you're isolated anymore. Don't feel as if you're separated anymore. You belong. Verse 19 in the message says, you belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Listen, it doesn't matter if you grew up in a house and you've been saved all your life and you've been in church all your life and then, or if you've been one that you're 50 years old now and you just accepted Christ. Listen, you have the same rights, the same privileges. If you've only been saved 30 days than the person that's been saved 30 years, you've got the exact same promises, the exact same hope. Glory to God. You belong. And then we saw in that scripture how it talks about Jesus being be the cornerstone. Now, I have not a constructive bone in my body. I don't know nothing, anything about construction. Nothing. Not a thing. I'm afraid sometimes when I put pictures on the walls. It's not that bad, but you get the point. So I had to actually go and talk to someone who, who knows about construction. So I went next door in, in my office, went, walked to the office next door and talked to my brother Rob Bellamy. And I said, explain this cornerstone to me. Now I've done some research and I, I can see some stuff, but explain that to me a little bit. And he, he began to just tell me some things and give me some insight on what a cornerstone was. And you see in point one, it's the first stone set in the construction of the foundation and all other stones set in reference to this stone and determines the position of the entire structure. That cornerstone, that most important part of the building determines the, the, the foundation or the position of the entire structure. And then, and then I was gonna say Paul, but Rob told me, he said, but listen, that cornerstone has gotta be perfect. If it's not set perfect, then you can forget about the stability of that building. 
It's got to be perfectly set, letter two, or number two, in the foundation. It's got to be perfectly set in the foundation. Listen, that's why it was so important. That's how Paul can say that Jesus was our cornerstone because he's the only one who was perfect. He's the only one that walked on this earth and did absolutely no wrong and lived a perfect life. And because he's perfect, he can be our cornerstone and we can be sure that the foundation that our body will stand strong forever because we got a perfect cornerstone. I said, man, Rob, that's good. Number three, but what happens when Jesus is not the cornerstone? What happens when Jesus is not the cornerstone of your marriage? Can I tell you, you're headed for divorce. What happens when Jesus is not the cornerstone of your family? When he's not the cornerstone of your church? It's not gonna stand. So Jesus is our peacemaker. He's our cornerstone. Let's look at letter C. So we begin to close. You are important. You are important. Verse 20 to 22 in the message paraphrase says, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. So I asked Rob a question. I said, well, Rob, tell me this. So after the cornerstone is set, The foundation is beginning to be built. Bricks and bricks and stones, they're all being put on each other and you can kind of see this wall, this building coming together. What happens if you miss one brick and an entire wall? He says, Dave, it loses its stability. So wait a minute. You've got thousands of bricks on one wall but this one brick is not in place and the whole wall loses its stability? Absolutely. Wow. So that tells us, and I like how the message paraphrase says it, that we are being used brick by brick and stone by stone. So what happens when you are out of place? The entire wall, the entire body loses its stability. God says, listen, we talked about at the end of of last week that you are beautiful, that God sees you as beautiful. But listen, tonight we want you to know that you are important. You are important. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, you are important. without you in place. And what happens if, if we look at that in our teams as leaders? Or if you're not serving in any capacity? If we don't have you in place, our wall begins to lose its stability. God wants you to know tonight Not only are you beautiful, as he sees you as beautiful, but listen, you are so very important, so very vital to the body of Christ. You are so very vital 
to the stability and strength of the church. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.